0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing good? This week has been an interesting week for me. We're in chapter 17 of Genesis. When I started looking at chapter 17, it became evident really quickly that I had no idea what the scriptures were saying. You know, I had these paradigms that I was operating through. And um, so I, I just went on a quest to get as much information as I could this week on the Abrahamic covenant, on uh, circumcision. And, uh, and I really focused on those two things. and didn't focus as much on the passage <laughs> that we're teaching uh, through today. And where I found myself was changing the title of the message three or four times. I think, what's it say in the bulletin? Okay. That's true. Chapter 17 is about the contents of the Abrahamic covenant. And then I changed it to everlasting God. Then, based on where the Lord brought me this morning is it has to be, El Shaddai, Almighty God, All-Sufficient God. Because so much of our lives are um, walking by sight, honestly. My life is. It's walking by sight, not by faith. And even in my inadequacy, to even be up here this morning, and in each of our own inadequacies in life, um, it's important to understand who El Shaddai is, and that He is the Almighty God, All-Sufficient One, whose grace is sufficient, and whose strength is perfected in our weakness. So the passage that we're going to look at today is chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. And the name of the message is, Almighty God, All-Sufficient One. Let's pray again, if we may. Father, we just... uh, I just ask that you be honored and glorified here today. Father, um, I've got a lot of stuff on paper. And Lord, I so firmly believe and hold tight to the statement that James makes that we are not merely, we're not to be hearers of the Word who delude themselves, or deceive themselves. But James says to be doers of the Word. And God, I pray that, that this message and these words would not be just a series of facts that clog our mind and that puff us up. But God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray. that you would supernaturally use your living and active word to impact and to effect change in our hearts. And that as we look at you, El Shaddai, that we'd have a greater understanding of your power And you're all sufficient in your all-sufficient nature, and that by that power that we can do all things through Christ Jesus, who strengthens us. So, Lord, we need you this morning. We ask that you be our teacher. I pray, Father, that that I would stand behind your word. That i not bringing any offense. And that your word would be what does surgery in our hearts here today. And God's people said, Amen. You might get a lot of this this morning. I have no idea where this is coming from. All right, here we go. Chapter 17, verse 1 through 14. First, we got to understand a few things of what's going on here in chapter 17. First thing we need to understand is that it's been 13 years since Hagar bore Ishmael. 13 years since Abram had his first son. It's also been 13 years since the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. It's a period of silence. We don't know if God was silent to Abram. We just know that there's no account of it in Scripture. It's also been 24 years since Abram showed up in Canaan,- 24 years since Abram first showed up in Canaan. It's important to know that God has already made the covenant with Abram in chapter 15. And what we're going to see in chapter 17 is just more revealing of the, of the contents. And isn't that just the way God works, where he gives us a little bit of something. He tells us to step out in faith. But we don't know exactly what's on the other side. We don't know exactly what that looks like. And that's what we're going to see today is chapter 17, in many ways, is the, is the, the guts, if I can, if I may, of the covenant that was revealed in chapter 15. It's important to understand that Abram, it's already been counted to Abram as righteousness. He is already eternally secure in God's arms. He is a believer, if you will. He is saved. He is already one of God's children. And we learn that in Genesis 15, verse 6. We we know that Abram is 99 years old, and that Sarai is 90 years old. And they are far past the childbearing age. And we're going to hear next week, uh, Pastor Chris will cover the last part of chapter 17 where God actually tells them that they're going to have a son at this ripe old age. And the last thing that you need to understand is that the Abrahamic covenant is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel that you'll ever see. Let's read the scripture together. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Folks, I want to really encourage you that, that there is application in these verses. There's lots of application. And that as we look carefully at this, we're going to learn a lot about who God is and what he came to do. And we very, the very first thing we see in, the, in, in verse 1 is that God reveals himself to Abram as the almighty God. And in Hebrew, that is El Shaddai. And whenever you see El, it is always God. And Shaddai in this case means almighty, all-sufficient God. And this is the third time that we've seen um, El something in Genesis so far. Last week, we saw it when, when Hagar, when God saw Hagar in her hurt after being um, She had rejected. Thank you. After being rejected by Sarai and kicked out, that God appeared to uh, Hagar, and Hagar called him the God who sees, and that is Elroy, the God who sees. That God sees our deepest hurts. He knows our our, our dreams, and that He cares for us. And then we saw back in chapter fourteen, El Elyon, the God Most High. Melchizedek was the priest to the God Most High, and that's El Elyon. And we're going to see this over and over again as we go through Genesis. We're going to see the everlasting God, El Olam, in 2133. So we're we're going to take a look at El Shaddai, Almighty God, All-Sufficient One. Let's look at the second half of verse 1. This really threw me for a loop. It really threw me for a loop. Because I really thought that there were conditions on this covenant when I was looking at this. That be, walk before me and be blameless, and then I will establish my covenant. No, this is so clear that there is no, there is, uh, it is unconditional, this covenant. There's no conditions of this covenant. What this is, is it's a response to God's unmerited grace. We saw it with Noah, didn't we? If you remember back, it said that Noah was blameless in his generation and he walked before God. And we are not saved. God does not save us or draw us to himself because we are righteous, because we are blameless, because we're good. He asks us to be blameless and to walk with him in a response to his unmerited grace. Does that make sense? As a response. In 1 Peter 1, God says, be holy as I am holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be blameless. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine through 10 I love this. It's when Paul asked the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. Remove the thorn from his flesh. And God says, no, I'm not going to do that, Paul. Because my grace is sufficient... And my strength is perfected in your weakness. And this is a key concept to remember here this morning, is that no matter what is going on, that God's grace is sufficient. And that His strength is perfected in our weakness. When when Abram heard... That God declared himself almighty, all-sufficient. Abram fell on his face and worshipped. I think Abram is, like us, has a, has a lot to process. God has made some pretty big promises to Abram. He told Abram that, that he would bless, that he would be a blessing to all nations. And it's important for Abram to know it's important for us to know that God is sufficient. That God will fulfill His promise. He is almighty and capable. As we look at the rest of the chapter, we're going to see the Lord filling in the details of the covenant that He made in chapter 15. The covenant that He made with Abram some 13 years ago. And we see here in verse verse 4 and 5 that God said that, Abram, you will be... Father of a multitude of nations. he says it in verse four, he says it again in verse five, you'll be a father, you 'll be a father of the multitude of nations. And he changes abram 's name here from Abram from Abram to Abraham. And for some of you that have been studying Hebrew, i 'm um, not going to make a case I 'm not going to go into this because honestly, I don 't fully understand it. But th- that H there is a very important letter in Hebrew. And it has something to do with Jehovah. And I would just submit this to you for your further study. That it was way beyond um, a, my capability and to my time. But I think there's something very significant that we all want to learn about. But Abram's name is changed to Abraham here, which literally means father of many or father of a multitude. As we take a look at verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8, It's all about what God is going to do. We see, I will, I will, I will, six different times. He starts off by telling Abram, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. What did God tell uh, Adam? He said, be fruitful and multiply. What did he tell Noah and his three sons after they got off the, the ark? Be fruitful and multiply. There's one difference here. God told them to be fruitful and multiply. What is He saying to Abram? I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. The almighty, all-sufficient God is the one that's going to make Abram or Abraham exceedingly fruitful, even at the ripe old age of 99. I will make you into nations... Many nations will come from Abraham. Not just the Jewish nation, as we learned last week, the Arab nation. That Abraham is the father of the Abram nation and many other nations. He says, kings shall come from you. Many kings in these nations and ultimately the king of kings. Jesus, the king of kings, will come from the line of Abram. As so we take a look at verses 7 and 8. God says, I will establish an everlasting covenant with you, Abram, Abraham, with your offspring and with your generations. He said in chapter 12 that, that I will make you a great nation and the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Messiah, the one who is going to reverse the curse, the one that is going to give hope to the world, is going to come from Abram. And for Abram to believe this, he needs to understand that God is almighty, he is all-sufficient. And he goes on to say that I will give you Canaan for an everlasting possession. An everlasting possession. Now this was very confusing to me, and I think it's confusing to a lot of us. Because do you realize that Abraham will never possess Canaan? The land between the Euphrates River on the north and the Nile River on the south, that he will never possess it. And to this day, Israel has not possessed that land. They have never possessed that land. But God is a God who promises and keeps promises. And this will be fulfilled, I believe, in the millennium. It talks about in Isaiah, three different places in Isaiah, and other parts in God's word is that that will be where the thousand-year reign is. That's where where Israel will will finally possess that land after the second coming. In the most significant part of the covenant, I believe, is the statement that I will be a God to you and to your offspring after you. That El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the All-Sufficient One, wants to have a relationship with Abraham with his descendants and with you and I God is not a God that just, that just sits on his throne and rules yes he does sit on his throne and rule but he wants a relationship with you and I and I'm not just talking about salvation because we become friends with God once we are saved once his spirit is in us but he wants us to walk closely with him. He doesn't want us just to have a, a head full of knowledge. He wants to understand. He wants us to cry out to him and tell him what our deepest hurts are, what our deepest desires are. And he wants a relationship. This is the most significant part of the covenant. He says that I will be a God to you and your offspring after you. This promise was not only for Abram, but for Abraham, It was available, and it's available today to everyone in the planet. I want to read Galatians 3, 7 through 9. This is an incredible verse. We can actually spend all day in the New Testament. All day. Because it is the best commentator. It's the best commentary for this particular chapter. As we look at Galatians 3, 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, know, that, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Did you get that? That God preached the gospel long before Christ ever came on the scene. And died. Don't miss this, folks. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It started out in chapter 12 that Abram's offspring that he will be a blessing to all of mankind. And what that's referring to is Jesus Christ. Yahshua. Who who came to take all of our sins past, present, and future. Every mistake we've made, every mistake we're going to make. And he took him to the cross. And that was foretold. Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. I want to explain something that uh, Chris explained a couple of weeks ago. Because I came across it in my reading as well. And it, is just, it just blows me away. It's something called cutting of the covenant. Do you remember when he talked about that? Cutting of the covenant, and what that is, it happened in the Near East, back in times of Abram. What would in in Hebraic weddings, weddings of Hebrews, what would happen is that the that the bride and the groom, to make a covenant to one another, would take an animal, and they would cut it in half, and they put the halves out here somewhere. These bloody halves. And then they would walk through it together as a ceremony, a symbolism of their commitment to one another, of their dying to self, and their desire to, to live together and never break the covenant. And what they're saying is, is Elohim... If I break this covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. Can you imagine if we had that covenant in America? It might reduce divorce a little bit. They literally cut the animal in half, the bloody animal, and they walked through it. I don't know if they wore white back then. And it was a covenant to say, if we break this marriage covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. That's taken marriage seriously. Now go back to chapter 15. Did Abram and the Lord God make this covenant together? Did they make a covenant? Yes, there was a covenant. But here's what happened. The Lord God caused a sleep to come upon Abram. First of all, let me back up. He told Abram to go out and get a heifer, cut it in half. Abram's going, all right, I'm walking through the bloody animal with the Lord, and we're making a covenant. And God says, not so fast, he puts Abram to sleep. Then you know what happens? The Lord God walks through it by himself and makes the covenant by himself. Why is that important? That is important because we have nothing to do with salvation. That God is the author and perfecter of salvation. God is the only one that can make the covenant. God is the only one that can keep the covenant. Are you with me on that? Are you with me on that? I talked to Nancy about this this morning, and her eyes were just glazed over. So we had to process, fight a little bit. i to ask for forgiveness. Such is the life of Dan Hardy. This is really important. Because the covenant is an agreement. But this particular covenant, we had nothing to do with. God walked through the animals by himself as a sign that he is the author and the perfecter of salvation. That we can't come to God on our own. He's got to draw us to himself. I'd love to answer any questions on that afterwards. It's unconditional. The Lord did all the work. You know what we need to do? We need to believe. That's our our job, is to have faith. So God just had a series of, of I will. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you, Abraham, with your offspring, with their generations. I'll give you Canaan for an everlasting possession. And now... He says, This is what you do. Abram, this is what I did for you. I counted it all unto you as righteousness. I drew you to myself. I promise to never leave you nor forsake you. You are mine for eternity. And furthermore, your generation that puts their faith in me, they're also mine for eternity. God calls us to obedience, folks. And I'm afraid that the church in America in particular has missed it. Because we're living with cheap grace. We understand that God died for our sins. But we don't understand Ephesians 2, where it says that we were saved by grace through faith, not not on our own, not by our own strength. But we were saved for what? What? For works. God calls us to be obedient. And let me just say this because it started out with God Almighty, all sufficient one, and that He gives us the strength to be obedient. And He calls us to obedience. Let's take a look at verses 9 through 13. He talks here about the sign of the covenant which is circumcision but let's take a look at circumcision and understand what it is physical circumcision is cutting away the flesh that is a carrier of filth and disease do you know that there's actually some health benefits to circumcision did you know that the uh, in t- today that women in Israel have the lowest instance of cervical cancer on the planet isn't that interesting? It's a cutting away of flesh that is a carrier of filth and disease. It's also a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. It's a pledge. It's a badge. It's a passport that said that identifies yourself and identifies the Jews with God's covenant. Very similar to the outward sign of an inward reality that we have as believers today, which is what? It's baptism. It's baptism. And I started going down the path of looking at, at, uh, at infant baptism and looking at believer baptism and really um, was ministered to in a neat way. And there are dear brothers and sisters that I love that I will die for that practice believer baptism. But here's the important thing, and even these dear brothers and sisters that practice it, it's not salvific. And they understand that. Did I say beaver? Thank you. Uh, Believer and child, neither one of those are salvific. Okay? Uh, Baptism period has no salvation qualities to it. It is simply... A covenant it is an outward sign of an inward reality. So it's important to know that circumcision also is not salvific. and my son Joey this morning really helped me out as I was uh, having a meltdown in the kitchen. he, he said, dad he says, he says, I didn't know that Abraham wasn't saved and that the Jews weren't saved by circumcision my guess is that might be new news to some of you as well that circumcision was simply a sign that identified the Jewish people with their God it was a covenant the Abrahamic covenant was clearly one of grace appropriated by faith But at the same time, the faith had to be manifested in obedience. That's the same way for us today. Our faith needs to be manifest in obedience. And here God says, he says, you shall keep my covenant. He tells Abraham, you shall keep my covenant. And Abraham's probably going, how? First of all, he needs to remember that that almighty God, the all-sufficient one, whose strength is perfected in Abraham's and yours and my weakness. That he gives us the power to overcome any sin and to obey any command. He says, Abraham, keep my covenant. How? He says, be circumcised. Okay. Okay. Now, Abraham knew what circumcision was. There was evidence of circumcision even amongst the Egyptian people. I'm not sure why they did it, but it was happening. So Abraham, when God said, be circumcised, Abraham knew what he was talking about, and I'm quite positive that he passed out for a good period of time. What they used then was a sharpened bone. Okay. Then he says, circumcise every male among you. Now, a little bit of a tangent. Back about uh, 20 years ago, I went skydiving. It was the old-fashioned skydiving where you had a ripcord. You jumped out and your parachute opens. Just for wimps, right? And I remember, it was my idea, and I went with three other guys, so I had to go first. And I I remember with my, my feet... Dangling on the side of the plane looking and seeing cars going by there. And I look back at my three buddies and they're like this. And I'm quite sure that that had to be the response that not only Abram, Abraham had but his full-grown buddies that saw Abraham with a sharpened bone in his hand. But he said, Keep my covenant. How? Be circumcised, Abraham. Circumcise every male among you, every male that's eight days old, every male born in your house, and every male every male bought with your money. This is a great picture that circumcision was for before the new covenant, was for everybody that was a Jew and every Gentile as well that identified with the new covenant. Now there is something, if you Google um, baptism eight days old, what you're going to see is that there are, there is a reason it's eight days old that we know today. Abraham didn't know that then. But there is a reason. There's something about, something going on in the baby that, do you know? Does anybody know? Stand up and tell us. I guess the platelet count uh, increases as you're born from zero days, and it goes up to 125 percent or something like that right at eight days, and then drops back to 100%, so you're quite a spot. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, something related to body. After that, just that one period Wow. It almost feels like God might have known what he was doing, huh? And that vitamin K, I think that stands for knife. I'm not sure. So it is important for Abraham, now that he's come to faith, and God said, "I will do this for you. I will do this for you. I'll do this for your for your ancestors." And there's now obedience, and it's time for Abraham to obey this particular command of circumcising. Are you tracking with me? I see some heads nodding. Okay, let's look at the. Uh, The last half of verse 13 and verse 14. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. This can really be confusing, folks. Is what God is saying is that that there's a covenant that every male forever needs to be circumcised? No. I'll tell you why. Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What he's referring there to there is the Jewish people. It does not apply to believing Gentiles today. Abraham and his offspring are commanded to be circumcised. Now and throughout their generations, this is a sign of the covenant. Scratch that. What God? Let me read a couple of Old Testament verses to you. I'm sorry. Uh, Look at Jeremiah 4:4, and then Jeremiah 9:25 to 26. Jeremiah is rebuking cold-hearted Israelites. Israelites that are following the command. That's Jeremiah 4.4. That are following the command to be circumcised. But the problem is, is that they, they think that that is enough to get them into a relationship with God. And here's what Jeremiah says to these cold-hearted Israelites. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. And then Paul, writing to fellow Jews, goes to great pains to show that he is not a Jew outwardly. That he is a Jew inwardly he says this: for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Can you imagine the confusion of the of the Jews in the temple I, th- I thought you said that that I had to be circumcised and what Paul is saying here is a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. For the believer, we need to be circumcised, the heart. Let me read another verse. Jeremiah nine twenty five. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. The new covenant starts with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is if you know Jesus if you're a Christian if you're a believer you has God's Spirit dwelling in you and that is a sign of your salvation circumcision is not a sign of your salvation Folks, I just uh, my prayer is is that there's something to take away here today. Um, God's word is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. It says in Second Timothy three or Second yeah Second Timothy three sixteen that all scripture is profitable for teaching for reproof. and god has something for us here today and i believe the most important thing that that i would encourage you to take away today is that if you know jesus it's because he drew you to himself it is nothing that you did you responded to his call We live in an era of cheap grace. What I mean by that is, is that we're very happy to take the hell insurance, to pray the prayer, but God wants obedience, and He is El Shaddai all-powerful, all-sufficient one. And and he gives us the power to obey. Now don't be confused with this that when you blow it that he's disgusted with you. Don't don't believe that. Don't, Don't believe that lie. He delights in you. but there is blessing in obedience there is safety in obedience me and a brother were talking a little bit the other day about just just the protection of the of God's family and how when we are obedient to raising our kids boy am I going on a tangent here when we are obedient to raising our kids according to God's word, there's not a guarantee that our kids aren't going to go wayward. But there's a hope. There's a there's a safety, there's a there's a a promise there that his word won't return void. Let's pray. Father, uh, I just thank you that uh, that you are Almighty God, all sufficient One. I thank you that, Lord God, that you proclaim the gospel some thousand years. Before Jesus died for our sins, I thank you that mankind has always been saved by grace through faith. I thank you that you give us the power to say no to sin, that you give us the power and strength to obey your every command. Lord, I pray that you would just impress upon each of our hearts areas that you are uh, telling us to do something. Maybe it's to um, ask forgiveness of somebody that you've wronged, that we've wronged. God, I pray that you give us the strength to do that. Lord, maybe it's the boldness that we need to Obey your prompting to make contact with a mother or father, a child, a sibling that we're at odds with. God, please give us the strength and the courage. To say yes to your written commands and your word. And to say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. As you lead us and direct us every step of the way. God, we need you so much. We need you as individuals. We need you as families. We need you as a church. We thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. That you are the Almighty God, the All-Sufficient One. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.